our family has grown. Welcome to the world, Hannah baby. Introducing a new collection, Hannah Soft, made with Tencel. It's so breathable, with stretchy comfort for all of baby's first moments. And it's cool and gentle on their skin all year round. Entrusted Hannah quality for your most precious gift. Hannah Soft, made to last. Shop now at hannahanderson.com. Welcome to On Boys, real talk about parenting, teaching, and reaching tomorrow's men. We're your co-hosts, Jennifer L.W. Fink of buildingboys.net and Janet Allison of boysalive.com. Jacob is a second grader who struggles to learn. He loved to learn, explore, and try new things when he was in preschool, but that changed when he started school as a kindergartner. He appears to be just like his peers, except he has a really difficult time learning to read, spell, and understand math. Despite his best efforts and the efforts of his parents, Jacob still struggles. Jacob is bright, very talented in sports, and liked by all his peers. He needs lots of extra help that his friends don't need, and he goes to a special teacher to help him learn. But learning isn't getting easier, and Jacob feels different. He's saying to his parents, I'm different. I want to be like the other kids. I don't like school, and I can't do anything right. Jacob is unhappy at school and has no confidence, embarrassed that he can't be more like his friends. I'm guessing that Jacob's scenario sounds all too familiar to many of our listeners. I know as a boy parent, this happens over and over in so many homes, and it's heartbreaking. And that's why today I am thrilled to introduce our guest. We have two guests joining us today, Drs. Deborah Ross-Swain and Dr. Elaine Fogel-Schneider. They are both speech-language pathologists who have worked with numerous children over the years, numerous families, and they have published a book called Confidence and Joy, Success Strategies for Kids with Learning Differences. Uh, Elaine, introduce yourself a little bit and tell us, you know, how you and, and Deb came to this book. Well, thank you for having us today. I've been working with children now for over 35 years, as Deb has, and we've noticed that there was uh, something missing from the realm of books for parents to help them learn what they can do to build the confidence and joy in their children, because so often Parents are so much faced with academics Mm -hmm. and they see that the children are not succeeding in school. And we realized that there were things that were missing from the notion of academia, which is definitely confidence and joy. Deb, tell us why are confidence and joy so important to kids? Elaine, you just mentioned that parents seem fixated on the academics when kids struggle in school that tends to be where people look. And what I love about your book and your approach is that you're saying, let's back up, big picture. Why are confidence and joy so important? So here we have children that are typically developing. They're doing great until they hit school. Like they're curious, lovely little preschoolers who can't learn enough. 
They want to learn. And the moment that something academic is introduced, it sort of stops. So what happens is children with learning differences, they struggle every single day to do what their typical peers seemingly can do without any problem. So after a period of time, when they're doing the same thing over and over again and not getting a different result, they lose their confidence. They get very nervous about going to school and doing the same thing for the 15th time, and it's still hard for them. So they don't get to experience success, and then they lose confidence, and they don't know what's going to happen next. So then when they lose their confidence, they're not happy little campers. Hmm. And is this where the negative self-talk comes in? I've had so many parents tell me, you know, my, my son is telling me he's stupid and the teacher hates him and he can't do these things. Is that when parents will start seeing that kind of behavior? We see that children who have been very happy with learning as preschoolers, as Deb mentioned, are now feeling that all eyes are on them. And what happens is they start to be noticed in the, even the classroom because so often we see that if a child can't finish an assignment that was given to him in a classroom setting, that his peers may just go right out on the playground and have recess. But here's our little boy who's sitting back in the classroom, which is the worst thing for him because now he's different from all the other children. And that is where that self-talk comes in. I'm not good enough. I'm stupid. I can't do this. I'm not like my other friends. And that difference occurs right then, which really breaks down that child's self-image of who he is or even she is. We've seen this happen so often with young boys. And that's partly because our focus, Janet and I, we talk about boys. I have four boys. I'm very attuned to that world. You guys have both been working with children for a long time. Do you think that some of the shift that has happened in schools over your careers with sort of the pushing down of academic standards and pressure, do you think that that is contributing to uh, some of boys' struggles in particular in school? Well, we do know that there's, when we talk about learning differences or communication disorders, there tends to be more boys than girls. Okay. But what's happened is, is we've become a nation of data and standards. And without considering that brains are just as heterogeneous as we are physically. So what's happening is children have learning differences. Up to, oh, recently, people always said, well, you're either a visual learner or you're a kinesthetic learner or an auditory learner, but we're all those things. We may have strengths, but we have to figure out how these children learn. We can't be sticking every child into one standard for performance because we're missing so many of them. And what we're creating are a lot of unhappy children that are potentially very bright. The groups we're talking about are kids that they may or may not have an IEP, but they have normal intelligence. They're bright. They have average, above average IQs, but yet they're made to feel like they're so different and they can't learn. And I'll tell you, you, I will never find a child that doesn't want to learn. But when they've been put into an environment where the learning style doesn't match the teaching style, and that goes on and on and on for years and years and years, 
then they do not want to learn because it's so unpleasant. It's how they feel in a learning environment. So they say, I don't want to do it. I hate school. I don't have any friends. No one likes me. I'm dumb. I don't get it. And they shut down. Yeah. And I think I read in in the intro to your book that you talked about if adults were made to go to a place every day where they did not feel good, where they were learning differently than everyone else, we, we would not stand for that, right? But we allow our children to be sent off every day to a, a learning environment that for some of them is, does not suit them. You are absolutely correct. That's exactly what we say in that intro. And that is, as adults, we have privilege. If we had to go every day to an environment that made us feel bad about ourselves or we were unsuccessful, you know what we do? We'd say, "Uh uh-uh, maybe I'd do it twice just to make sure I didn't like not recognize it appropriately the first time. Other than that, we would be out of there. Mm -hmm. Children have to go every single day to do something and they don't have a choice. What also happens is that as they go every day, that self-image gets worse and worse and worse because it's being built upon day after day after day. They see that they're not as successful as their classmates. And teachers, we know that they're there to teach, but I must say, with the amount of children in each class, they really don't, are not able to always give that attention to that child that's not learning like the others. As a teacher myself, and I work with a lot of teachers, is that teachers don't always have the knowledge to Mm -hmm. recognize what is going on for the specific child and to be able to guide parents into which professional to see. It can be so confusing for parents of where where do I go? Do I talk to a physical therapist, an occupational therapist, a speech and language therapist? It's so confusing. So can you give our listeners some guidelines of what to look for and who to call? Ghostbusters. Who are you going to call? <laughs> I'll say it. <laughs> so that it's always such a good question because it depends on where the learning difference is. So for example, if you have a child that's just struggling with reading, spelling, and math, it's likely there's an underlying processing problem. So it's it would be appropriate to send them to a speech-language pathologist who can assess that. But mm-hmm. sensory thing, it's a dysgraphia kind of thing. They can't hold a pencil right, or they just have trouble with noise in the environment. Maybe an occupational therapist, maybe a psychologist. Um, that's why collaboration is so important. But also recognizing that when there's a constant learning difference across the board, they're not going to outgrow it. There's a reasonable amount of time where a child will like catch up, but when that exceeds what's expected and they're always behind their peers, we shouldn't take a wait and see approach because all we're doing is reinforcing the notion that they can't learn and that feeling, that icky feeling that they have becomes pervasive. Um, One of the things about this confidence and joy thing is we're trying to offset 
these negative feelings, but also the angst that comes with them, Mm -hmm. not wanting to go to school, hating to go to school, the anxiety that these, some of these children have, it's up to us as adults to identify it and act on it. They have just as much right to confidence and joy as their other peers do, but so much emphasis is on scores and achievement. And we forget about that. You know, we have talked on this podcast a lot already about my youngest son. My youngest son, Sam, is 12, and he hates school. He is a bright kid, but the way they teach and learn in school is not how he prefers to learn. He's more of a try it and see what happens and and go from there and follow his interests. One of the things that we talk about is letting kids follow their own light and encouraging them in the areas in which they have interest and they're strong. And I never really thought of it in terms of confidence and joy before, but I really think that Sam is doing as well as he is in life at this point because we've given him those opportunities. He loves mowing lawn. It might sound silly, But that's one of his things. And so he started a lawn mowing business and he cares for his lawn mowers and he has clients. And he's lately been spending lots of time out in the garage, building things and fixing things and getting tools. And for him, those things spark confidence and joy. Exactly what we've been talking about here is the fact that for one child, that confidence and joy can come in the way of fixing motors or lawn mowing somebody's lawn. That way they feel important. They have something to offer. It's building up their confidence and joy. It's allowing them that freedom to say, hey, I can do something and I can do it well. And that's what we want to spark in children. And we want to get parents to see that it's not just the academics that are important in the lives of our children, that we have to see what is that spark and be the detective in finding out what that spark is to allowing it to grow. And you were asking before about what kinds of people are out there that can help support the child with the academics. And there are, as Deb was saying, there's occupational therapists, there's speech and language pathologists, there's psychologists, there are physical therapists. There's a wealth of support people that are there to help families. And the main thing is, as we see that the child has that spark, I think it's so important for families to see that because so often all you see is the gloomy look of the child or that disheartened feeling. And it's such a relief when a parent can say, oh my gosh, look how happy he is and look at what he can give to the others. Low, you know, mowing a lawn. I have a child that she actually was having very much difficulty in school with her academics, and yet she makes beautiful rugs, beautiful rugs. She's weaving, and they're actually selling these rugs that she's weaving. So I think it's, again, up to a family to take a look at their child from not just an academic, that's very you know narrow. Look at the whole child and see what is something that sparks their interest. Yeah. And this confidence and joy then can become the foundation, the base on which you can build and continue to move forward. Correct. Absolutely. So it's our job as parents and professionals to get our children from little people to big people with confidence and joy in their hearts. That's how this all came about. And it's a new way of thinking. 
because if we get them from little people to big people with confidence and joy, then they're going to be inspired to do anything that they want, whether it's art, dance, doing something with their hands, or being in an academic environment. It doesn't matter, but they are empowered. This is a book about empowerment, and there's nothing greater than seeing a child who has been or felt disempowered to all of a sudden feel empowered. And I really see, I mean, I love what you said, Elaine, about the, that the academics is just this narrow field. And I believe that we all need to be on our soapbox talking about vocational education and all of these other avenues that children can take, that not every child is college material. So giving them opportunities to explore other aspects of getting from that little person to that big person, what can they do when they grow up and to really honor, maybe she's going to weave rugs for the rest of her life, but what is she learning in doing that? A ton of math for one thing and selling and all of those things. And to recognize that we must step out of this standardized aspect of education. And it's hard because when you have 28 or 30 kids in your classroom, it is really hard to develop that individual strategy for each child, which I think then makes it even more important that parents are really attuned to what's going on with their child, but also that they can work in tandem with the teacher, but not to depend on the teacher telling them this is going on with your kiddo and this is what to do about it. Parents really need to step up and make the phone call to the speech pathologist and and ask. I'm assuming you'll just get on the phone with parents who have questions. Absolutely. So the thing that that I want to stress is this book isn't about what education is doing wrong at all. It's about how we can all come together to make confidence and joy as important as reading, spelling, and math. Because children will go off and do some awesome stuff, but we want them to feel really good about what they do. And vocational degrees are just as important as academic degrees. And we need to have that variety. But most importantly, what you're saying about parents, parents will have to take the lead because we have traditional compulsory education that was intended to teach masses of folks. Well, now we've got a hugely different population with a lot of learning differences. If we can't change curriculum, we can change how we introduce curriculum or how we implement curriculum based on on these individual differences. But at the end of the day, my hope for the future is that when people are sitting around a table having an IEP, that not only do they have goals for reading, spelling, and math, but they have measurable goals for making sure that children have confidence and joy at the end of their educational outcomes. Because then what we have are successful, happy adults. If we have successful, happy children, they go on to be successful, happy adults. But confidence and joy get lost along the way because we have those numbers. And I think also if we take a look on on what we're talking here about too is this confidence and joy is something that if a child doesn't have 
to begin with, a parent is looking to see where is that in my child. This is something a parent can build into their child's life by looking at what makes their child happy. What is it in their child's life that gives them that joy? One of the most challenging things about being a woman at midlife is realizing how little people understand about perimenopause and menopause, Janet. I just had a conversation with my sister about that this weekend. She is 10 years younger than me, so I'm 51, she's 41, and she went to ask her healthcare provider, hey, can you provide me some information? And she got information, but she was frustrated by how incomplete it seems, how little we know, and how for way too many people, the answer seems to be, yep, that's the way it is. Deal with it. Mm -hmm. Deal with it. And not only are our mamas out there having to deal with perimenopause, likely at this age, but many of our moms are dealing with their sons entering or in puberty, which is kind of nature's irony, which is, oof. Cruel joke, Janet. Cruel joke. Cruel joke. Thankfully, thankfully, increasingly, there are those who are recognizing that women need and deserve competent care and treatment for perimenopause and menopausal symptoms. And we know that can still be harder to access than it should be, which is why we have partnered with Winona. Winona helps women who are dealing with menopause or perimenopause. Winona is a collection of OBGYN health professionals who believe that your symptoms are important, real, and deserve to be taken seriously. Telehealth, you can access care from your home when it is convenient for you. Visit buywinona.com today to start your free visit with free U.S. shipping and the ability to pause or cancel at any time. Your path to wellness has zero obligations. Use the code ONBOYS at buywinona.com for 25% off your first order. That's B-Y-W-I-N-O-N-A dot com slash on boys. Winona, menopause care made easy. So is it playing basketball? Is it bowling? Is it going to a class and learning art? The parent has to take a look at those activities of their child. You know, what do they go to that they always want to go to? What's something that brings a smile to their face? And we have to take a look for from the parent's perspective of bringing that in to weave that into the child's life. Because as we know, it's not the child doesn't have that opportunity always to say, I want to do this or this is what I'm good at. But a parent looking through their eyes, that eyes of what do they see that's successful here rather than the negative and then looking for supports within their community. Because one of the important things is building teams. When you have children that have learning differences and you feel yourself isolated as a parent or alone or not knowing what to do, many times looking for other support groups or people in your community, maybe a teacher who is interested in your child or a professional, maybe a physician, someone that you can bring along on your team and build a team so that you don't feel alone as a parent. Because not only do the children feel alone, 
when they don't have that success as their classmates, but so do the parents of these children. They also feel different and isolated and having friends that are the normal type of child, the child that has no difficulties may not be the best environment for your child who's seeking other children who are more like themselves. And parents tell me all the time that it was such an eye-opener when they discovered another child in their neighborhood who had some of the same issues that their child had, and they became friends, and that the world opened up for them as they both engaged in you know these little robotic toys or doing some other activities that they hadn't been able to do before with other children. So families need not feel isolated or alone when this occurs, but looking for others and finding those support teams is really a very much of a benefit for them and their children. Let's talk very concretely. As a parent, sometimes you have this intuitive sense that your child is struggling, something isn't right. That's the easier part. The more difficult part is figuring out what is my next step? Now what do I do? So what are some concrete steps that you can recommend parents take if they have a kid who is down on themselves, who's starting to hate school, who is struggling? So I would say first step is to really stand back and take a good, hard assessment. What's working, what's not working? And most of the time it has to do with academic subjects. So then I would just have, I would recommend they have an open, honest, candid conversation with the teacher. It's not pointing fingers, it's nothing about that. It's making sure they're on the same page. Because I have found that many times a teacher will say, well, let's not worry about it just yet. They're kind of okay. But then mom and dad have to say, okay, this is what's happening at home. Many children kind of hold it together during class, Mm. fall apart at home. So mom and dad see the, the tears and the frustration with homework, the avoidance of homework. It's what we call homework hassles, the falling apart the minute they get home, the negative self-talk that they, the teachers often don't see. So then you do an assessment, you talk to the teacher And then you talk about what we can do as a team, the teacher, the parent, the student, and get something formal going. They don't have to qualify for special education to warrant help. So maybe we find, first of all, going back to what Elaine said, yes, you find what your child's really good at so that you can balance out those negative feelings with really positive feelings. That has to start right away. You know, you can do really fun things and be doing math at the same time. So for example, you could get into woodworking and you have to measure and you have to add, you have to subtract. They don't realize they're doing that, but they're learning math while they're doing it. Yep. Or cooking or taking care of animals and having to measure food. So it's being very clever. And I'll tell you the other thing that I think is super important, that it's very strategic and intentional. So parents write their own little plan, how I'm going to create opportunities for success and happiness for my child, while at the same time, we're going to be working on those other areas. Building on that is those teams that we're talking about. You know, what makes for a stellar team? A team that you want to... That, that will help motivate you to be an advocate for your child. Because one of the things that we see in, in education is 
that, you know, the squeaky wheel, as in anything, you know, is going to get heard. And we need parents to be able to advocate for their child. Being an advocate is not something that comes easily for a lot of people because you have to really take a stand. You have to be able to reflect on what your goals are for your own child. You have to be able to see when to speak, when not to speak, how to ask questions. You need to find ways that you can reach the goals that you're setting for yourself and your child. And so being an advocate is something that, you know, it's not for wimps, so to speak. It's something... You have a whole chapter in your book about that. Chapter seven, going to bat for your child, parents as advocates. And I highly recommend that to parents because it takes so much effort. I wish we could say that you mentioned your concern in a meeting with your child's teacher and things suddenly change, but that's often not the case. This is a process and it will take continuous effort. And um, this book is a great resource to help parents as they continue on that journey. And each chapter in the book actually has reflections also, so that as the chapters are being written for families, for parents, um, it's also for professionals, but they get a chance to reflect. What is something my child likes to do? What makes them look forward to an activity? Or in the chapter, as we're talking about advocating for your child or going to bat for your child, is there a group, is there another mother that you've met or another fam, somebody in the community that has a child like your child and you've seen them reach success with getting things for their child that have been made a big difference in their lives? Could that person come and join your team, give you some advice? Would that be a person that you could invite to join your team? You want a team of people because, you know, power in strength isn't, you know, the power is in the strength. So you don't try to do this alone. I always want to tell families that you don't have to feel isolated. You may feel it at the beginning, but certainly by looking out and finding others to bring into your circle, into your teams, that you do not have to do this alone. Well, and what is really heartening about that idea is that even though you may be advocating for your own children, you're actually advocating for a change in the whole system. And so you Mm. are impacting and influencing maybe those kids that don't have parents who are in a position to advocate for them. It's not just a one-on-one, it sounds like. It's, It's more important than that, and the ripple effect is huge. Let me ask you both a question. It sounds to me like most things, the earlier you catch a problem, the easier it is to intervene. But, you know, we don't know what we don't know. And it's not at all uncommon for kids to reach middle school and they're apathetic. They don't want to do their homework. They don't seemingly care about anything anymore. Mm -hmm. I hear this all the time from parents of tween and teen boys. What can parents of older kids do to help break a cycle that's really gotten pretty negative? That's a tough question because what, what my assumption would be is these teens and tweens have, they've been struggling, maybe not in a significant way, but it's just always been a struggle. So when you put middle school in the mix, mm-hmm. you've got more demands, you've got a different type of curriculum, you've got six instructors, six 
teaching styles, six communication styles. Now everything that they could kind of hold together doesn't hold together. So my, your question was, what would you advise parents? Well, I'd advise them to be a little more proactive, to be thinking, to observe how they're doing in the first like K through three, four through six. And if they're struggling, work to offset those struggles like we discussed earlier so that there's a balance. It, it truly is really important when you think about the balance, the good feelings versus the bad feelings. And if one tips the other, mm-hmm. you don't have a good situation. But then the, the thing about teens and tweens, you have to throw in like hormones in the mix. Right. Right. Right? So you want to do this earlier <laughs> rather than later. And be always be thinking about it's on your the front burner. How's my child's competence? How's their self-esteem? How's my son's self-esteem? They're not happy a lot of the time. What do we have to do to turn that around so that they can find opportunities for happiness? So I would say just be proactive. They issues just don't usually pop up suddenly, right. middle school or high school. They've been there, and now they're you've got social concerns and oh, there's so much that goes on. <laughs> there is. What do you think, Elaine? Well, some of the things that I like to look at um, for even younger children is looking at self-affirmations, is like giving them tools, giving the children tools, ways that they can empower themselves not necessarily through looking at an activity, but by looking more at themselves mindfully. The idea of mindfulness, the idea of self-affirmations, the idea of presenting this to a child before they go out the door, before they go to school. It's almost like um, another book that I've written called The Seven you know, Strategies for Raising Calm-Inspired and Successful Children gives us some of that information as well affirming, I am smart, I can learn, I can make friends, things like that that are more positive. And then a mindfulness approach, perhaps just giving them a chance to just sit and be calm with themselves for just a few minutes a day so that they can find a place of peace and quiet and calm where there are no demands being made of them at all. They're just being in the moment so they can feel that release of any kind of angst that they're experiencing in their day-to-day living. I also recommend that for families as well, because (laughs) as you know, as saying that you have your own sons, that you yourselves are going through the same angst and that same turmoil as you see your child struggling, that does not bring you joy either. So these are techniques and strategies that parents can use themselves for the whole family. I'm really glad you pointed that out, Elaine, because uh, as we've been talking, you know, I've been thinking about the parents who may not be feeling confidence and joy in themselves and, and how important it is to get back to that for ourselves as parents so that we can help our children have that too. You know, if you think about this, this is such a reassuring and uplifting message because what you are telling us is that we can be great parents by focusing on joy, Mm -hmm. our joy and what brings our children joy. We think of this parenting thing as a slog sometimes. It's a lot of hard work and there's so much pressure and there's all these do's and don'ts. 
if you're struggling, strip back, forget about all the things you should be worried about and maybe just do something that you enjoy. You're role modeling for your child. And if you can find something to do with your child, you both enjoy, you've just taken a very important step forward. We talk about how important it is for parents to take care of themselves because their job is onerous. And if you're not happy and your well is empty, there's not much left to give out. So parents have to totally take care of themselves and have their own fun because they're modeling fun. Mm -hmm. Point kids how they can have fun, even though things kind of feel a little icky somewhere, you can still have fun. And that's fun is enormously um, huge in building relationships, especially family relationships. So you get to set aside all the ick and you go get to do something as a group together or the mom and the dad go out and they don't talk about kids. They just have fun together, but you you have to model it. Give your child even an extra five minutes a day where that your child becomes the leader and you're the one that now follows. Because think of how it is for a child. All day long, they're following what their parents are telling them. And, you know, we know that's important for them. But here we go with the idea now. We need to see how the child can now take charge themselves for just five minutes a day and what they want their parent to do. And let the parent be the, you know, the follower now and give that child a little sense of, of some of their own strength and their own power and what they can do with their family. This has been so much good information and I know our listeners are just taking it all in and hopefully experiencing some confidence and joy as they're listening. Do you have one top takeaway for our listeners? My top takeaway is that what we're doing with this whole notion of confidence is enjoy is planting a seed for change. So whenever we encounter a family, an educator, a professional that we talk about, let's make it a priority. Children will learn, but they won't always have confidence and joy. So my hope is that it be a priority, that confidence and joy be a priority for every child because it's a human right. My top takeaway is just realizing that every child wants to learn. Every child wants to be successful. And it's up to us as the parents to find the ways that we can provide this experiences for our children so they have those opportunities to grow and to be successful and to feel confidence. Thank you so much for being with us. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for having us. We are Jennifer L.W. Fink and Janet Allison, and we are here to support you in parenting and teaching tomorrow's men. Boys and anger is a topic we are hearing lots about. We want you to know you are not alone. You can go to boysalive.com backslash anger and receive a free audio download to help you understand the complexities of your son's anger. Also includes tips and strategies for how you can help him cope with this big emotion. Our family has grown. 
Welcome to the world, Hannah baby. Introducing a new collection, Hannah Soft, made with Tencel. It's so breathable, with stretchy comfort for all of baby's first moments. And it's cool and gentle on their skin all year round. Entrusted Hannah quality for your most precious gift. Hannah Soft, made to last. Shop now at hannahanderson.com.